You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Uh, before I read, let me tell you what's going to happen as I read, because I want to give you a little bit of background, because I won't be able to cover all of it. I, get you, I want you to get the, maybe the, 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 the spirit of what's going on here. What's happening in Proverbs chapter 7, 8, 9 is the very end of the introduction before you get into Proverbs proper. And Proverbs proper are like, don't do this, do that, if you do this, that happens, that sort of thing. They're proverbial, short, punchy statements. Before you get into the Proverbs proper, you have nine chapters of introduction. Chapter 7, 8, and 9, as it rounds it out, you get into a narrative part. And the reason why I'm going to read all of 7 and 8 and 9 is you're going to see these two sort of things that have been pitted against or pitted in front of uh, a young man. Now, Proverbs was originally written to, uh, by a father uh, to a son, and that's why it says son all over. And it was later adapted, um, probably adapted later on, sages would use it in training children or men uh, or boys up to be men in wisdom. And then it's in our scripture, so it's for us to gain wisdom. So it's for all of us. Now, in the way that uh, the writer talks to his son, he, he sets before him um, almost two uh, feminine energies. He says there's Folly, who's this, uh, this vixen, this uh, seductress woman who wants to lure you in, and then there is Wisdom, beautiful Wisdom, and she wants you as well, and they're both calling to you, which way are you going to go? And chapter 7 is, a, it's the only narrative we have in, chapter, uh, in, in Proverbs, chapter 7, and we're going to read through seven. You're going to see it just get all sensual and crazy. And then chapter eight, wisdom calls out and says, follow me. And then in chapter nine, there's two tables that are set before the young man. Wisdom makes her table and folly makes her table. And now it's left the decision, which way will you choose? Everybody follow along? Pretty easy? Easy stuff, right? Let me read. Proverbs seven. My son, keep my words. Store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye, your pupil. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Say to insight, you are my relative. That's not sister, that's sensual. In Song of Solomon, he calls his bride his sister. So this is like we call our term of endearment is baby. Yo, baby. Like that's a weird term of endearment if you think about it. If you said, say to your wisdom, yo baby, you'd be like, but we would understand that. Your, say to your sister is like a term of endearment, okay? Anyway, moving on. In a modern Bible, I would have put yo baby, but anyway. They will keep you, if you are in an intimate relationship with wisdom, they will keep you from another intimate relationship with an adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. And here's the narrative. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She, she took hold of him 
and kissed him, and with a brazen face, a bold-faced lie, she said, Today I fulfilled my vows. I have food for my fellowship offering at home, so I came out to meet you. I look for you, and I have found you. And I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not home. He has gone away on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he will not be home until full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain is a mighty army. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are, you who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign, and rulers issue decrees that are just. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, who listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest points of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on the seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight to their way, on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house, Folly says. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would lead us through this time. God, it's been said that Proverbs very rarely takes us to church. It speaks to us on the street. 
It speaks to us in our offices. It speaks to us at the parks and on the buses. It speaks to us at a street level. And that's what I ask for today. Even though we're gathered in a church, we're here to listen. I pray that you would bring this down to a, a gut level, a street level, that we would hang there and we would see what wisdom is calling and how it calls to us, Lord. And I pray that this church would choose the way of wisdom. I pray the young people in here would grow in wisdom. I pray the old in here would grow and continue to grow in wisdom and that their wisdom would be passed down. I ask that you would make us a wise church. As we pastor and lead and worship and follow Jesus in the midst of the Bay Area, God, that you would grant us wisdom. We are so scared that sometimes our actions, one action can destroy us. That's a scary thought, God. But by your grace, go I. So Lord, would you give us wisdom? Lead us now. Anoint me as I speak. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we are in a series in the ancient book of wisdom of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. And we're calling it uh, A User's Guide to the Good Life. And what we've been talking about over the last several weeks is our need for wisdom. Our need for wisdom if we ever want to live a good life. And we defined a good life by saying that a good life is a life that's not wasted. It's a life that is not mislived. This is the quote we used uh, several weeks ago before Easter. It would be a horrible thing to be in our deathbeds and to realize that we mislived. Our one shot at living, we mislived it. We want to live a good life. All of us do. How do we do it? Proverbs is a book that is trying to convince us that we need wisdom. If we are to take this one chance we have at life and live it well, we need wisdom. The word in Hebrew for wisdom is the word chokmah. I have a sore throat, so that really hurt right there. Um, so I might not be saying it that often, but it's that word, or I'll just say it normally, chokmah. It's way easier on my throat. This is the Hebrew word, and it means masterful understanding. Another uh, uh, interpreter interprets it as the skill of living. Our Bibles call it wisdom. And the, possess the possession of chokmah enables humans to cope with real life. If you get wisdom, if you gain wisdom, no matter how old or how young you are, if you gain wisdom, you will learn how to cope with the realities of life. You will know how to cope and learn how to cope with real life. Because life can be incredibly difficult. Life can be incredibly mundane. Life can be heartbreaking. Life can take twists and turns that threaten to destroy you. Things that you were never taught about in school or university or even from your parents can happen to you and you will not know what to do. And you need wisdom. Wisdom allows us to see life for what it really is. Wisdom allows to take in all of life for what it really is, and then what wisdom does in us, it builds capacity in us to live a good life in the midst of real life. Did you hear that? It allows us to live a good life in the midst of real life. Real life is sometimes not fun. Real life is mundane. Real life is heartbreaking. How do you live a good life in the midst of real life? You need wisdom. The capacities that wisdom builds in us are not just allowing us to live what we think is the good life. 
If you flip through a magazine or drive on billboards, there's always a picture of the good life. There's all, they're always trying to sell you what good life is. It's normally with people with abnormally white and straight teeth, perfect hair, no like male pattern balding or something like me or whatever. I look at them like the good life is hair. <laughs> like I want that life. But wisdom teaches me how to deal with real life. You don't have hair. But that's not, that's not what the good life is. Scriptures teach that actually the good life is not those billboards and those pictures that, that portray people enjoying their life. Like, that's the good life. What good life is, we learn at the very beginning of Proverbs, is a life that, it, that, that has the capacity to exercise wisdom in the realm of righteousness and justice and virtue. That's a good life. To live a, right, a life that's right, that's just, and that's virtuous. That's the good life. And Proverbs opens up and says, I call out to you, who wants wisdom to live what's right, what's just, and what's true or virtuous? So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say we need wisdom to be good, we need wisdom to do good, and to live the good life. One of my favorite commentators, Derek Kidner, writes this. He says, you have to be good to be wise. Though Proverbs is particularly concerned to point out the converse, that you have to be wise to be really good. For goodness and wisdom are not two separate qualities, but two aspects of a single whole. To take it further back, you have to be godly to be wise. Now listen to this. Some of you who are new today, you're like, you're following me on the wisdom train. You're like, okay, I understand wisdom, but godliness? Listen. You have to be godly to be wise. And this is not because godliness pays, but because the only wisdom by which you can handle everyday things in conformity with their nature is the wisdom by which they were divinely made and ordered. See, there's a lot of creation narratives that say life was created out of chaos, the battle of the gods. There's other creation narratives that say life is a random accident. Just something exploded and life happened. And it's, it's a great accident, it's a beautiful accident, but it was an accident. Proverbs says, and we read it today, wisdom actually is what framed the world. And what keeps this world balanced together and what keeps this world going and what keeps everything in order is wisdom. And it was a wisdom that was placed there by God. And what, what Derek Kidner is saying is that if you really want to know how the world works, you have to get wisdom. And it has a divine order. The world has a divine order of things and you have to learn that divine order and to be godly in order to obey wisdom laws. And what Kidner is saying and what he's saying is that it's not enough to know what good is. We must know what good is and pursue the good in the way goodness was divinely ordered by God. That's why we need wisdom. And this isn't circular. If you think I'm being circular in my arguments, it's not. Let me give you an example. We may know it's good to help people out of poverty. We may know that's good. And everyone here would probably agree, that is good. It's good to help people out of poverty. But, not, but we may not understand how poverty works. And out of good intentions try to help people out of poverty and end up messing up their lives. This is a reality. This is why we need wisdom. Not just knowledge of what is good, but knowing how to help. There's been a slew of books that have come out over the last several years telling people how to rethink the way they're trying to help. There's a book called When Helping Hurts. There's another book called Toxic Charity, and there's many others. 
These books are written because we are actually hurting people by trying to help them. I want to help you. I feel good. I know it's good to help you. I feel good in helping you, but I'm not gaining the wisdom in how to help you. Therefore, I perpetuate your poverty. I just build into your poverty different levels of complexity that ruins your life all the more. And you're like, but I need to give. I feel good by giving. You do good for you, but you don't do good for them. You need wisdom. Without wisdom, we can think that we're doing good, but end up doing harm. Another example would be we can love what's good, like romance. That's good. But pursue it wrongly or disordered, like the woman in chapter 7, and mess up our lives and those that we come in contact with. And you might be here saying, but that's just me. I'm a romantic. I'm just, I'm romantic. And every person I see, I fall. I just fall completely in love with them, and I tell them how I feel, and I romance them, and then I end up like ruining their lives. I don't know why. That's just who I am. (laughs) You're screwing up people's lives, and you don't even know, but you're screwing up your life as well. You need wisdom. We need wisdom to love the good in the right way or in the right order. Church, you and I need wisdom. And it's not painted any more dramatically than in chapter 7. And to be honest with you, this chapter scares me to death. It's a chapter that narratively says, wisdom is a matter of life or death. Did you get that when we were reading through that narrative in chapter 7? Wisdom is a matter of life or death. Look at chapter 7 again. Notice that it's magic hour. Do you guys know what magic hour is? It's that hour when the sun is just setting and everything is perfect for like an hour. Every color is the way it's supposed to be. It's almost, it's where all the best Instagrams are taking. (laughs) But a picture can never do justice to the way it feels in magic hour, to the way it smells, the cool, the, the look of everything. Magic hour is beautiful. No filter required at all. It's that hour where this young man is walking around his city. It says, as the day was fading. I've walked around our city as the day was fading, and it's the best time when there's no fog. It's the best time of the day. And he turned a corner, and he caught sight of this beautiful woman. And this beautiful woman, her beauty, mixed with magic hour, knocked him off his feet. She was stunning in her beauty, and she was dressed provocatively. We don't know what it means that she was dressed like a prostitute. All we know is she was dressed provocatively, and she was beautiful. Now, don't think that he was looking for a prostitute or that she was a prostitute. It just says that she was dressed like one, not that she was one. There was no money exchanged or anything like that. It looks like she had actually a lot of money in a home and a meal at home, all that stuff. She was just walking. She was dressed provocatively. It was a perfect hour. And then he sees her, and then she sees him, which is almost even more scary. She sees him, and they lock eyes. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm looking at her. She's looking at me. This is awesome. Maybe she'll keep looking at me. Maybe she's noticed how beautiful my skin looks at magic hour or something like that. And then she started moving toward him. Just as he was thinking, this evening couldn't get any better, she just walked or floated right up to him and then in one single motion grabs his arm sensually, pulls him in, and kisses him on the mouth. And this completely shocks him. 
but it was like the kind of shock he was waiting for his entire life. Comes up, kisses a, 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 like a whiff of her perfume and the feel of her lips against his lips, and he was just gone. He was completely gone. And then she starts talking as she pulls away from the kiss. It wasn't like she kissed him and just walked away. She pulls away and she started talking to him. She says, I live just there. And I've prepared a meal. And I've been looking for the perfect person to eat it with. And I came out of my house to find you. I was looking for you. You were the one I was looking for. You're perfect. You're beautiful. You're the one I'm looking for. And not just that, she says, but my bed is waiting for you as well. My sheets are cool and clean and they smell like my perfume. Let's drink of love until the morning together. And it will be an evening that you will never forget. I promise you that. But you have to know something about me. I'm married, so I'm not looking for a relationship. I'm looking for an unforgettable evening and that's it. My husband's not here. He's gone away on a business trip. Follow me. And then her hands go from his arms to the tips of his fingers, and she leads him away. And it says in Proverbs 21, with persuasive words she led him astray, she seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her. All at once, that means that, like, he didn't even think about it. It was like, this is a no-brainer. Like, I don't even have to consult anyone or anything. He just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and he follows her. And it says, like an ox going to slaughter. How do oxes go to slaughter? They don't kick and scream. They're just like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And then bam, dead. (laughs) That's how oxes go to slaughter. They don't know they're going to slaughter. Like, hey, ox, walk with me. I'm like, all right, let's walk. (laughs) Dead. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. An arrow piercing your liver is the most painful way to die. How is he going to die? He's going to die not knowing it. He's going to die painfully like a bird darting into a snare. He's going right for it. And he doesn't even know that it's going to cost him his life. Here's a question. What will your defining moment be? What will your defining moment be? When I say defining moment, you may think of some public moment you have when hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of people are watching you. And you have to muster up courage or passion, or resolve to get through the moment and get rally everyone behind you. Maybe that you think that's your defining moment. That's not what your defining moment is. Defining moments are made when no one's watching. Defining moments are made when maybe only one person is watching through the lattice. The father. Watching. One person. No one else is watching. You're all alone. When you're alone, when you're walking, and everything is perfect. A perfect evening, the perfect opportunity presents itself. And no one has to know. And no one would know if you made the right decision. If you made the right decision, if this man made the right decision, he would not be in Proverbs chapter 8 or chapter 7. We wouldn't even know of him. But if you make the wrong decision, everyone will know because it will cost you your life. The irony of character is that no one really sees it, but they see it if it's not there. The irony of character is that you make small decisions every single day towards character and no one really sees them and no one really acknowledges them until your character is not there anymore. And then everyone sees it and you go down to die. 
the irony of the story, if this young man would have passed the test, we probably wouldn't be reading about him. But he didn't pass the test, and so he's here. And the reason why it's here is it's supposed to have this weight behind it. There's supposed to be this weight behind this story that gives us a feeling that none of us are beyond this. Did you guys get the feeling? I'm not just talking about the men in here. Because this is not just written for men about women. What this whole thing personifies is wisdom is personified by a woman and seduction is personified by a woman. It could be anything. Seduction has many different forms. Did you read this story, everyone in this room, and go, I'm not beyond that? None of us are beyond this story. The writer tells this cautionary tale in a way that after watching the foolish young man, we are made to see ourselves as conceivably filling the same role as he is. We can read that and go, yeah, I can see myself. I can see how that moment right there, I would probably, my knees would buckle and I would cave in. And this is not just about sexuality. This woman is a personification of seduction. Just as wisdom is personified by a woman, who is to be intimately known, the writer of Proverbs is saying that both wisdom and folly are this feminine energy that is calling out to us. Which way will he choose? As the first writer writes this to his son, son, which way will you choose? They have this energy and both of them are setting their table. Both of them want to dine with you. One of them is seduction. One of them is seducing. One of them will come at a moment you're not expecting and the setting is perfect. What will you do, son? What will you do in that defining moment when no one is watching? Will you have the capacity in your soul, will you have the capacity in your heart to make the right decision and not ruin your life and not ruin your family and not ruin your church? Do, will you make that right decision? Will you? This is scary. This story haunts me. I've thought about this story since for years that I've been reading it. Because I never thought myself above this story. It's complete, to be completely transparent and honest with you, I read this story and sometimes I go, God, I pray that I have the character to say no when whatever seduction looks like to, for me and the setting is perfect and all that, I can say no, God. I pray that, that it's, it's, I have the character for it. It's, it's not just because I haven't had the right situation yet. I pray, God, that I have the capacity, the character. I'm haunted by this story. I think about it all the time. All of us have defining moments. And yours may not be a vixen that you meet at magic hour. It might be something else entirely. But the point is we all have defining moments. Moments where we're face to face with what our flesh desires. Our carnal inward desires and everything seems to be perfect and the question is what will you do? And what you do, don't let the, 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 the weight, the gravity of this passage pass you by. What you do is a matter of life and death. Don't, don't, don't push that aside. Don't go, oh, that's no, it's, I, I hope, I, I hope, you know, grace will kick in and all this stuff. The, the, the thing that you choose actually has the, the power of life and death. And I don't mean to be overly dramatic, though I do like to be dramatic, but it's, this is real. This is reality. It's the point of the story. That's the narrative. What you decide at that moment will set the trajectory for your whole life. The way of life or the way of death. 
And the reason why the writer tells this story is so that we can, we can see how he failed and how we can succeed. It's an appeal to observation. The writer's saying, look at him. Look at where he went wrong. Look at her. Look at the, the vixen. Look at her tactics and gain wisdom. So let's look at him. Let's look at this, this simple man really fast. Look at verse 6 in Proverbs 7. The writer says, At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. First, I want you to notice this. The young man had no sense. He was simple. In the book of Proverbs, this is a way of describing someone who has not bothered to gain wisdom. He's a simple man. He hasn't bothered to gain wisdom. He's a simple person. She's a simple woman. They haven't bothered to gain wisdom. Then it says, this is key, it says, he was going down the street near her corner, walking along the direction of her house, walking alone in the direction of her house. So what he's doing is this. He's walking, and now it's not saying that he's looking for her. It's not saying that. He's not going, I'm going to go out on a stroll, and I'm going to try to find me a beautiful woman that's going to kiss me on the mouth and make me dinner and have sex with me all night. That's not what he's doing. But what it says, and you have to pick up on the narrative and the way that, he, that the writer's telling the story, he's saying that he's walking down near her corner, walking along the direction of her house. Direction, way, path. These are all keywords in Proverbs. They describe how someone lives their life. Wisdom is a way, wisdom is a path, wisdom is a direction. He, this guy, was walking in the way or the path, or the direction of this vixen. This is what this means. It's scary to consider the reality that the decisions that we make every day, choices in the direction of wisdom, or the directions of folly, are not a one-time moment in life, or a one big moment in life at a crossroads, but the result of trained muscles that have been exercised in choosing wisdom day in and day out for a long time. This young man was walking the path of folly, the path of foolishness for a while. And the right circumstances met at the right time and it killed him. Let me bring this closer to home. Men, and I don't mean just to pick on the men and I don't mean that only men actually make this point, but I wanna say this point to men. Men, there are many of you who want to find a perfect person to date, to marry, the right one for you. Or you might be in here that, that you are married and you want deep down to be attracted to your spouse alone. And as Proverbs says, to have eyes for her alone and allow her body to satisfy you always. It's actually way more graphic in Proverbs, but I won't go there right now. But, so you want to find this perfect person or, or, or you're married to someone and you want to be attracted to them your entire life, but, but, listen, you've had a steady diet for months or for years of pornography. And those are small steps. Small steps, which lead to a direction, which lead to a path, and that is the path that you are now on right now. And this path has habituated you to a digitized ideal of a woman. 
where when you come in contact with the majority of women in real life, even your own wife, you find yourself unattracted. And it's rotting you. It's a path. And you might think, oh, but I went up this morning and I prayed and I got grace and then two weeks later and then a day later and then, and it's this path that you're walking and you're walking and you're walking. And what happens is your heart, your character, your mind, your virtue is now oriented in a way that it's tainted, it's destroyed. And it ruins, it ruins the real thing. Every woman in here will tell you, that's not reality. It's called Photoshop. It's not real. Everyone will tell you that. But we have a steady diet of it in our culture over and over. And I'm not just talking religiously saying stop pornography. I'm, not ta- I'm talking common sense. So if you're in here, you're like, well, I don't really believe in your religion, so I'm not going to realistic. I'm just talking common sense. I'm talking about movies and articles that are being written and made by secular culture that are saying that this is rotting our souls and it's ruining, ruining our reality. And all this is, is an appeal to this. It's a pathway. It's, it's all it is is steps. It's a direction. You might say, but my, but my heart's for my wife, my heart's for my God, but you're actually living your life, you're stepping down in this path, in this direction, and it's toxic to your soul. And then one day, I don't know when, one day you're gonna, you won't have the capacity to choose wisdom. You'll be face-to-face with the decision, and because you have habituated your life in this direction for so long, it will ruin you. It will be, a, it will be an arrow through your liver. That is scary. I'm not trying to scare you out of pornography. All I'm doing is this. Listen, just think of it. Wisdom is, is part common sense, so it's part rational, and it's part revelatory, meaning it's part hearing from God. It's both. It's the marriage of revelation and rationality. Listen to this rationally. It destroys you. Listen to God saying, your body is a temple. Have eyes for your wife alone, or would you please start to train and retrain your mind to understand true beauty? Now, women, you are, some of you are on a path too, and I had to have a consultant for this since I don't know <laughs> things. So, correct, I mean, not, don't correct me, don't stand up and correct me, please. <laughs> but excuse me. Some of you are on a path too, and you've made it your mission to be as independent and perfect in as many ways as possible. And every magazine, secular, every magazine, I don't care if it's a home magazine, a fashion magazine, an image magazine, all of them are telling you to be perfect. You, my wife subscribes to a magazine, and then everyone in the world sends her magazine, so there's just tons of them in the mail. And I give them, I look at the covers and throw them all in the trash. They're just, everyone, be perfect, perfect makeup, perfect bangs, perfect body, perfect sex, perfect this. Like everything is, is like orienting you to be independent and perfect. And that's the steady diet. And this path that you're on is actually subverting everything you truly desire. And you find it difficult in certain circles to show vulnerability. Difficult to, to relate even to other women, even to other men. Because all your energies have been so directed towards your own perfection. And the relationships that you have now revolve around common pursuits of self-perfection. 
And so whether you're, uh, it's a motherhood group or career or body image or your good Christian girl group, all of you guys are just trying to be perfect together. And your community reinforces your folly. And I'll just quote, this is something that our, Julie, our spiritual director sent me. She said this, and I'll just quote her because it's just so good. She says, she longs to be rescued from her castle of perfection, but it must be because she has proven herself worthy not because the prison she has built for herself needs to be destroyed. So in the name of being perfect, she has condemned herself. And you're trapped. And all these different people are saying all these different things and you try to take the best pictures of yourself, post the best parts of you, and you want, and, I, and, and both of these examples, though they, they, they are both, they can be both, sexual and sensual, and I didn't plan on doing that this morning, but they both have that tone. They both, both the, 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 the male and female example, play into one another. These are all steps. These are all paths. These are all ways. It says, he was going down the street near her corner, walking alone in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading as the dark of night was setting in. You see how that, that's poetic? As the dark of night was setting in. He's walking, he's walking, it's perfect, but he doesn't know what's setting in on his path is utter darkness. We keep going down a path, and this is what happens. The dark of night sets in on us. There was a time in my life where the dark of night almost had set in around me. I had just turned 16 years old. I didn't grow up in church. Someone, a friend of mine, gave me a Christian Bible for Christmas. I got caught selling drugs at my school and was expelled and caught up in the law slightly. That night, I did not know God, but he knew me. And I just opened the Bible to some wisdom poetry in the, bio, in, in the middle of Scripture, a couple of books before Proverbs, and I heard God speak to me. Now, I want to say this by tell you the story by telling you that I have never from this point ever heard from God, nor did I specifically believe in God in any personal way, nor did I really sit in church that long, that often. But the genuineness of what God told me is confirmed by what I'll read to you in a second. What God spoke to me is what I pray he speaks to you. There are two paths set before you, Dave. There are two paths. This path that you're on leads to death. And you are on this path. It has cost you your high school career and it will cost you your life if you stay on this path. Because the other road is the road to life. And I hope that you choose this road. I was 16. I didn't know anything. But I knew enough to know I didn't know anything. And that I needed wisdom from God. I already messed up what I thought was my one shot at doing life my way. And I began to follow Christ. Proverbs 8 says, Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice at the highest point along the way where the paths meet? You know what this paths meet is? It's another, maybe your translation says crossroads. It's at this point where the paths like kind of, they meet but they diverge. They go, there's one way to life and one way to death. Which way will you choose? And what wisdom does is it actually calls out. Actually, if you were to think, even right now, wisdom might be calling out to you going, choose this way. 
Go that way and you will die. Choose this way. Wisdom calls out. Wisdom calls out in the crossroads of life. She stands and she waits and she invites. And it says, beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries out. I love this verse. This one has some special meaning to me. I've seen well-intentioned people move to the city, move to San Francisco, and be eaten alive. People that were a part of this church, people that were part of the church, or a church, and no longer is that the case because they lacked wisdom. And it says here, I wish I could write a translation, it says, she hangs out by Candlestick Park. She hangs out on the Bay Bridge, on the Golden Gate, and she says, do you want wisdom? You're going in to this city and you're gonna need it in there. If you do not have wisdom, you will be eaten alive. Don't be foolish, don't be proud, get wisdom. The entrance of the city, she cries out and she calls out, before you enter into that city, as you're walking along the way of life, you better get wisdom because in that city are all these small decisions that can ruin you. Get wisdom. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. So here's the invitation. Get wisdom through the path of wisdom and be wise. It will take a lifetime. But it starts with the humble acknowledgement that you need it. Start here, a humble acknowledgement that you need wisdom. And then a repentance. Repentance is like the most beautiful word in the church. I know it might scare you. Like, oh, I knew you were going to say this, preacher. You're going to yell, repent. Repentance is a beautiful word. It basically is, it means this, turning from your way to the divinely ordered way God has created you in the world. That's what it means. Turning from your way with your limited scope of what you think is wisdom to God's divinely ordered way that he has made you and this world. And that's where, that's where wisdom starts. For some of you, wisdom might start here this morning. You might be fairly new to this church. And so this is a heavy burden, a heavy yoke, and it is. And I don't want to take away any of that. But if you just try to enter into this life of wisdom rawly, like I'm going to, do, I'm going to muster it up in myself. I'm going to start doing it day to day. I'm going to, I'm going to start praying more. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to read all the Proverbs. I'm going to be wise. I don't want to ruin my life. I'm going to do good. Now, some of you, I, most of you, you're, you live in San Francisco, you're all overachievers. That's how you got here. And so when I, when I say this to you, you're like, I, I'll do it. That's a challenge. Thanks for challenging me, Pastor. This week, I'm going to gain wisdom. I'm going to get it. I'm going to be wise. I'm not going to ruin my life. I'm going to make decisions that are awesome. I'm going to rule. That's how you're thinking. You're like, I'm going to do this. Before you do, stop. Just a second. If you do that in your own strength, your own energy, you will, gosh, I don't know, if you do attain wisdom, you'll be so, you'll be so arrogant, you won't, no one want to be around you, for one, just so arrogant, or you'll fail a hundred times and go, this thing doesn't work. The entrance in the wisdom is actually found here. It's found in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus actually has another invitation. Wisdom calls out, but Jesus calls out too, and he says this, come to me. All you who, you who are weary and burdened, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I love the invitation of Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God. 
It starts with a rest for our souls. He says, take my yoke. A yoke was a teaching. A yoke was a way that a sage or a rabbi, his teaching, his, his, his wisdom. He says, take my yoke, my wisdom upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now, what I didn't just do was undo everything I said. That's not what it is. It's the, in, this, is, this is the way you get in. It's been said that wisdom can be translated to Jesus. So every time you read anything that says wisdom in Proverbs, you just put the name of Jesus in there. Now, I don't really believe that. The reason why I don't believe that, though Christ and his crucifixion is the wisdom of God, wisdom may be a good signpost in Proverbs to point to the reality of Jesus, but Jesus is Jesus. Wisdom might be a personification of Jesus. And the reason why I also can't, I can't really conclude that in my study of Proverbs that, that Jesus uh, or Proverbs in, or wisdom in Proverbs is Jesus is this. When you read Proverbs, wisdom has this heavy-handed cause and effect. Do this, and this will happen. And don't do this, or this will happen. Cause and effect. And we need to be aware of that, and we need wisdom for that reason. But Jesus is full of wisdom, full of truth, but he is also full of grace. There are some of us that are crushed under today's sort of sermon. They're like, I think I already ruined my life three times. I don't know what to do now. I've made those decisions. And some of you will have to live into the consequences of the decision. That's a real thing. But Christ, Jesus, is full of grace. That we can go to Christ right now and our lives can start to be reoriented. Our lives can be transformed from the inside out. Christ can give us a new heart, new motives. We can repent from our sins. If, if, if you're a man in here and those things, or a woman in here and those things, whatever those things are, we can go to Christ and go, I have been oriented and I'm scared to death, God. If my life keeps going this way, that I will end up ruining it. Would you intervene into my life right now and save me from myself? That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what Christ offers us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace, Lord. I am so, I, I, I am so terrified of Proverbs chapter 7. None of us are above it, Lord. None of us are above being seduced by our own wicked hearts. But God, I thank you that, Lord, you promise us a new heart, that you promise us life, that you promise us you can actually reorient the way that we live. You could change our character. You could change us from the inside out, God. That is a beautiful promise, one that we need today. And so I pray, if anyone in here, I pray for anyone in here that needs to repent, that needs to turn, that needs to ask for forgiveness, God, that they would place their faith in you, that you would offer to them the the gift of life today, that you would extend faith to them. Give us faith to trust you, God, and make us wise, Lord. Make us wise.
In Jesus' name, amen.